the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 492 for November 15th, 2015. T-Mobile announces Bin John, the iPad Pro goes on sale, and YouTube Music is released. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, two things before we start the show this week. First up, I want to clarify what's going on with uh, T-Mobile Music Freedom and what you're actually getting if you are an Apple user, uh, and specifically a user of Apple Music. So uh, I noticed something last weekend as I was doing some music streaming, and that was that as I was going in and testing out, uh, you're listening to music, uh, my music, um, the music that I was listening to was actually consuming data. And I thought, well, there's got to be some sort of problem here uh, with the way my account is configured or what have you. Uh, and essentially what I was doing is in uh, as a music, uh, Apple Music customer, you've got access to essentially the entire library of iTunes music. And so whether it was through the For You um, tab or the New tabs, so essentially areas that you go in and are clicking on a song and essentially that downloads the song. Now, it doesn't necessarily save the song, but it downloads the song when you do that. Those are not part of music freedom, which is very much unclear. And uh, so let me explain then what you do get. And this is per an email from T-Mobile's customer support. Um, they said the radio station would be the one that is included in music freedom. So uh, basically, if you go into the radio tab, and this is the good news, I guess, out of this whole thing, is that you can search for any song and it'll you can create a station off of that song. And so you can still listen to whatever it is that you're looking for. Uh, and honestly, I, I use the radio stations uh, quite a bit anyway. So I've just kind of adjusted my uh, my behavior to to because usually just you know throwing on some music in the car or whatever, and so if you make sure that you're uh, on radio, then it will not consume your data. But if you go into either my music or new or for you, uh, any of those are going to consume your data. So keep that in mind. Um, I, I again, it was something that that kind of came to me this week as I was looking through, you know, how my data was being consumed and I thought, well, something's wrong and well, it's not really wrong. That's just what it is. So essentially it has to be something that is streamed. And although it's not like I was actively, at least what I thought downloading music, that's not how it is. So I, I don't know that that was that just something that I brought. I, I thought I'd bring up because it wasn't really sitting really well with me. And still five days later, I don't feel great about it because it's, it's just absolutely not clear. Uh, but at the same time, I, I guess that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, it would make kind of sense for them to just, you know, have uh, anything related to iTunes just part of the data, right? I mean, part of right. the, the free data. What's the difference? I mean, how many people are downloading massive amounts of libraries via their mobile on their phone through the iPod, you know, kind of the, the, the old school iPod interface? I guess the difference is that they can control the amount of data that like the maximum amount of data that could potentially be used on these streaming services versus the as I'm going through like a for you or kind of new that new section where it's actually downloading the actual high quality version of the song. I'm assuming perhaps it's using more data. The crazy thing is, though, if I think about like how my my what it's actually working out for me, I if I go into that. Uh, you know, 
that news section or whatever it is, and I look for a playlist and I click a playlist, I'm actually listening to more of the songs than I am on the radio stations. Because on the radio stations, I skip like crazy. Like I'll probably listen to one every 10 songs or something like that. Like I just skip, 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 skip to find something that I actually want to listen to. So it's actively downloading, I would imagine, more data than just one of these other, you know, playlists that they have because they do some pretty good curation there. But, uh, you know, this I'm guessing is not an issue on Spotify unless you're listening to um, certain uh, what like, I, I don't use Spotify, so I'm not sure which what it would be like. But I'm guessing there's ways to like, like download the music or something like that. That would be that would count against your data. But the streaming of uh, stations is, is what doesn't. So um, if, if someone is out there that's using this that has, uh, you know, gone through this as well and kind of figured out maybe uh, a better way to explain it or at least a better way of, of how T-Mobile is, you know, actually set this thing up with. I'd love to hear from you. Like I said, I got an answer from T-Mobile customer support. And this actually took a number of days for the record. This was not something that the first the first person just basically said, you know, um, you know, no, there's it's it's all of Apple Music. And so finally, someone clarified that it was only the radio station. So um, <clears throat> just something to keep in mind. If you're someone who's using Apple Music, um, you may or may not have noticed it. Just again, because it's uh, <clears throat> if you don't do it a lot, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna be noticeable. But it, if you do skip a lot of stations, and I just happen to be streaming a lot over the past week, it's when I noticed it. Yeah, because I would have never seen that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so that's that. So that's number one. Number two. Um, so obviously switched over from Verizon to T-Mobile. That happened um, now a month ago. That was the first week of October. And uh, so coming the my my billing cycle with Verizon ended on like the 21st of October. And I gave it a couple of weeks and I still had not received a, a final bill because that's usually what they say is to wait for the final bill and then it takes a week to process and then we should have it out to you within five days. Well, I didn't receive the bill. I still haven't for the record. Uh, and so I, I ended up um, saying, thinking to myself, well, I'm going to have a bill from Verizon Verizon do here pretty soon. I've got no visibility into it on Verizon's website. Uh, at some point, I need to figure out what the amount is that I owe. So um, I started an online chat with somebody and they were able to confirm that the account was indeed closed because that was the other thing I thought is well, maybe it didn't close my account. Maybe it just suspended it or did something like that. But <clears throat> they did confirm the account was indeed closed. And uh, so I ended up, um, she confirmed the amount for me, which happened to be for the the time, which was I still had, I think, 11 months left. And so it was $220 per line that I had left on my early termination fees. Uh, but because it was an online chat, she couldn't send me the final bill. She could only tell me what the amount was. Uh, she said, but you have, to, you have to go into a store um, to get the final bill so you can actually see it. And here, and that's, that's obviously critical because for uh, T-Mobile, they need to see your final bill in order to pay you the reimbursements for the early termination fees. So I said, okay, fine. Fortunately, I have a store very close to my office. And so I walked over there and uh, I, I walked in and the first person I talked to said, well, we can't, uh, you know, we can't print those out because the account is closed. And I said, well, no, I just, I just talked to somebody. They said to come in and that I would be able to give you, you know, I've got the account number. I've got my phone number. I've got social security. I can give you every piece of information. I just can't pull it up. And so um, he said, okay, fine. So he pulls, he finally goes you know, behind the computer and pulls it up. And then he says, well, um, you know, it's our store policy to charge you $5 to print out the bill. And I, I just kind of gave him that stare, you know, like, really, you know, and so he said, well, let me go talk to my manager. So he goes and comes back. And of course, they did not charge me for the bill, because why would I pay $5 to print out a bill to pay them money? Uh, but uh, so they finally printed it for me. I was able to pay it in full at that point then. And uh, then I took the the bill and scanned it in, sent it to T-Mobile, uh, got an automated email right away. Uh, this was on, I think, 
Wednesday. And then just this morning, I got another email from T-Mobile saying, thank you, we've uh, received everything we need. This will be processed and you'll have your reimbursement here within eight weeks. And so uh, that was really nice to see. I mean, obviously not nice to have to wait eight weeks, but at the same time, whatever, uh, I'll still get the money back for it. So, um, so far so good with uh, with that. Uh, but I thought, just thought it was an interesting process getting the uh, Verizon account canceled out. So now that you've uh, got Verizon canceled, you're ready to switch back now, right? That's right. Yes, I'm. 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 I'm done. I'm. I'm done with it. No, it's. Uh, it's still. You know, still everything has been really good. Um, you know, I, I guess I could. You can always come up with little things. Um, you know, I had uh, a weird issue this week with uh, the Wi-Fi calling, and it just it was the the person on the receiving end of the call said that the call was really bad, um, and I and and then. I was also able to confirm it with my wife as I was talking with her at some point over Wi-Fi calling. Um, and uh, I don't know if it had something to do because they were, they were all on my home network. And so I ended up creating a, um, uh, what do you call it? Where you create kind of that, that the QOS quality of service, um, for the, the home network. And so I, I called out specifically the IP, uh, not the IP ranges, but the port ranges that are being used by T-Mobile after a little bit of research. And so I kind of carved out some, uh, some of my, uh, my spectrum and, uh, bandwidth, uh, for that. So hopefully that'll take care of that issue, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You know, I was, Joey and I were talking before the show, I've been traveling uh, a whole bunch around, uh, the DC area and, uh, was out kind of doing some sightseeing stuff this week and pretty much, uh, you know, everywhere that we went with the exception of one of the underground metro stations that I happened to spend about 20 minutes in where I had edge service only they were all um, at least they were showing 4G or most of them were LTE which is you know underground stations is just spectacular to see and all around basically it's been very positive and so I, I've got nothing but great things to say but again this is in one market in you know one person's perspective but um, that's that's what it's really all about is what, what your perspective is and if you've got the service that works right for you then that's when you're going to be happy um, you know but it, it was it was interesting as I was sitting there for the 20 minutes which felt like you know forever but the 20 minutes in this underground station on edge only and I thought you know this was only really like eight years ago that this was the standard, you know, maybe even five years ago for many people, this was still the standard of service that they had. And this is, it's just amazing that how far we've come and how fast our networks are now from just a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, think of the the vast majority of the popular Blackberries were, you know, edge only. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, and I, I, of course, the first thought I went through my mind is, well, if I'm if I'm doing something here and I'm browsing and, you know, a phone call comes in, it's going to go right to voicemail. And I thought, well, hey, silly, you're going to be in a tube in just a few minutes here and you're not going to have service for, you know, three minutes at a clip until you get to the next station. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not ready to switch back to anything yet. It's great. Uh, I got my first bill this week um, and that was that was interesting to see because it shows both the the, the you get this huge chunk of credits uh, for each of the devices and then you get billed for the devices so that based on the trade-in that I did from the the iPhone special um, so I think it's it's weird it's like I'm only paying like two dollars a month or something like that for each of my phones because of the because of the phone that we bought and the phones that we traded in so it was that was really nice to see it was like basically nothing so we're still you know only paying it's like fifty dollars each for both of the lines plus ten dollars for the uh, 
um, for the iPad and then some taxes and it's like a buck 25 or something. I used to be paying $190. So it was very, very nice to see that. So anyway, 11 minutes in, let's jump into the news this week, shall we? First up, the U.S. Supreme Court has not chosen to review an appeal concerning the use of search warrants for cell phone location data. A Florida man convicted of robberies in 2010 argued that police should have obtained warrants in order to request location data from his carrier. In the case, the police did not first get warrants and the location data was tied to to the suspect to a number of different crime scenes. The man's case has already been dismissed by the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which said the Fourth Amendment rights of the defendant were not violated. At issue is whether or not customer data stored on company servers can be accessed without probable cause, which necessitates a warrant. The Supreme Court, however, has not weighed in yet on the matter. We've got an interesting thing we're going to talk about later, too, that came in from a, a law enforcement uh, a representative. So we'll we'll kind of come back to this and talk about how some of this all ties together, but it's it's pretty interesting stuff here. So uh, next up, Samsung on Wednesday introducing the Exynos 8 Octo processor. This is a system on a chip and the first from Samsung to feature category 12 and 13 LTE modems built in. The Exynos 8 Octa supports four custom cores designed around ARM's V8 architecture paired with four Cortex-A53 cores on Samsung's 14 nanometer process. The Exynos 8 is 30% faster and 20% more power efficient than older Exynos 7 CPUs and supports wireless download speeds up to 600 megabits per second. Samsung expects the the chips to ship by the end of the year. AT&T made it less expensive for customers to roam in Mexico this week. The new AT&T Mexico roaming bonus is available to all mobile share value customers at no additional cost, meaning roaming access in Mexico doesn't require a monthly fee. Customers have access to unlimited texting to anywhere in the world, unlimited talking to Mexican numbers, and unlimited uh, talking from Mexico to U.S. Uh, calls made to AT&T customers in Mexico and to other countries other than Mexico or the U.S. will be charged at standard international rates, of course. Further, the AT&T Mexico roaming bonus offers a gig of free data to use when in Mexico. Overages are charged at $20 per gigabyte. The option must be added to each line before traveling to Mexico. In Verizon news, Verizon on Thursday began offering customers a new international roaming package called Travel Pass. Verizon customers will be able to access their existing talk, text, and data buckets when roaming in 65 different countries for $10 for a 24-hour period, and roaming in Canada and Mexico will be $2 per day. Customers will only be charged for service when abroad and actively using their phone in other countries. In a statement from Verizon, they say, unlike other providers, Verizon doesn't use gimmicks like free data roaming to lure you in and then put you on the slowest network and restrict your data use while outside the U.S. Verizon offers a $40 package for those who roam for longer periods of time. High-speed data service is included in that cost. You know, that sounds good, but $10 uh, per day, that seems a little high to me. Uh, $2 for Canada, Mexico, that seems uh, fair, but that list is only 65 countries where typically, you know, roaming countries, it's more in that, you know, 190 uh, country range. So that 65 seems a little restrictive. I didn't look at the list of countries available, but uh, that that doesn't seem like it's uh, that, uh, you know, that good. I would imagine it's, you know, a handful in Asia and most of Western Europe and, you know, probably South America. And and that's about it. Um, You know, the 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 T-Mobile jab that they're making here, obviously, for the free, you know, free data roaming for the slowest network. Yeah. I mean, if you're someone who needs that speed um, and, you know, as we all become used to it, you kind of feel like you need it. um, Yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer uh, to to 
to get that. But it's 140 countries, I believe, on T-Mobile for with that that include the free data, which is you know obviously uh, edge speed data. But um, you know, I, I I still like the idea of having it uh, and not having to pay for it, especially for someone who doesn't travel all that often. Uh, if I traveled more and maybe it was more business travel, I would probably feel differently because I would feel like, well, this is more of like a, a normal thing where I need to have this international high speed data, but it's just not something I do. And I think T-Mobile had a, a, a I think it's like, isn't it $10 to have one gig of high speed, you know, international data? I th- they had, it was something where you could buy a, you know, a, a gigabyte or two or something of, of roaming data. Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, that would that's probably out there. Again, I haven't looked into it because I don't really travel internationally. But, uh, um, you know, obviously having, uh, you know, AT&T's announcement here that you can travel into Mexico, uh, essentially, and use your plans. Obviously, that's really great. Uh, Verizon will charge you two bucks a day, which eh, no big deal. Most people aren't going to balk at that, especially with uh, all the other costs that you're going to have. You know, if you're there for a week, what's $14, right? So uh, no big deal there. But I think, you know, overall, this is just kind of an interesting uh, in it's an interesting idea that, uh, you know, we're now seeing this international barrier get broken down as we now have uh, more of the carriers kind of jumping into the, well, we'll let you travel around and not charge you an arm and a leg. Uh, it's still going to cost you, but it's not going to be nearly what it used to be. So, um, you know, the other part of it is, is that Verizon is including calling in here as well. T-Mobile does not. So if, uh, you know, that, that may be worth something to you. Yeah. So I just pulled up the list of countries. It's kind of interesting. You know, China's not in there. Uh, Taiwan is. Uh, some, I see UK is, and, uh, you know, a few countries here and there, Estonia, Finland, but there's definitely some big holes. Interesting. Yeah. I'm assuming France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, those have all got to be in there. I mean, those are the kind of the biggies, right? So, uh, so that's that. And if you didn't think you were paying Verizon enough money just yet, they're going to start charging you a $20 activation fee for new customers who sign up for one of its contract free device payment plans. The fee goes into effect on November 15th, that's today, uh, and previously Verizon had waived activation fees for customers who purchase devices via monthly installment plans. Verizon already charges a $40 activation fee for customers who sign contracts, and though they no longer offer contracts, they will still charge you the $40 fee to grandfathered contract customers who add a new line of service. Verizon has said the new $20 fee covers costs associated with adding a line, such as pairing to cus- a, pairing the customer's phone number with the SIM card. Part of the initial appeal of the monthly installment plans was zero down uh, and the payment of nothing to get that uh, new device. Uh, AT&T's installment plan uh, customers pay a $15 fee when adding a new line. Sprint charges $36 for all new lines. T-Mobile charges $15 for its SIM starter kit. So everyone charges something, so you're not getting away with anything if you just switch carriers, so keep that in mind. The FCC this week granted Verizon Wireless's request for a waiver that will allow it to get Wi-Fi calling services. The waiver is needed because TTY services, which carriers are obligated to offer, are not as reliable over Wi-Fi. Verizon, of course, will replace TTY with RTT, just as AT&T has done in order to remain compliant with the law. The waiver gives Verizon latitude to offer Wi-Fi calling while cooking up a permanent replacement for TTY. They did not say, though, when Wi-Fi calling would be implemented. So I wonder if they're going to, you know, uh, this along with Verizon and the other carriers, is that the high quality calling going to be available uh to the phones with the voice over LTE. That's what I'm really interested in is finally getting uh, more than just one person I've ever talked to or two people I've ever talked to on Verizon uh, with a high quality phone call. 
Yeah, I, I'm absolutely absolutely interested in that as well. And I think it's great that uh, you know they, we do have that intercarrier uh, kind of stuff on the horizon, but it's not coming fast enough. It's like texting, right? I mean, it was like, why are we not allowing this to go from one carrier to another? So, um, you know, we'll I'm sure we'll hear some more about this uh, as you know HD voice, as they call it, uh, becomes something that uh, more people are getting used to here with all the new devices coming out. And Verizon this weekend adjusted its prepaid service plans for various devices. Verizon now offering three plans to smartphones. The least expensive option, $30 a month. It has unlimited voice and text, but no wireless data. Uh, Verizon also also offering $45 and $60 prepaid smartphone plans with 1 and 3 gigabytes of data, respectively. For basic phone plans, two options. $15 gets you 300 minutes and texts combined and also unlimited data. $30 gets you unlimited everything. Lastly, Verizon offers data devices, i.e. tablets and hotspots, on weekly, monthly, and bi-monthly options. You can pay $15 for a week's worth of data at 500 megabytes. Uh, Also, $20 a month gets you a gig of data, and a bi-monthly option gives you 35 60 and 100 price points at 2 5 and 10 gigabytes of data in which you can use those allotments over a two-month period t-mobile on tuesday announcing video streaming a new program they're calling binge on similar to the carrier's music freedom initiative where various services will allow you to watch their content, uh, albeit limited, we'll get into that, uh, with no impact to your data allotment. So a very interesting proposition, something we absolutely thought we were going to see and indeed did get it. Yeah, I mean, I did not expect to see that this soon. I, I, we, you know, we kind of both, well, you know, when are they going to offer Netflix kind of in jest? Because uh, you would expect that really kind of not to happen anytime soon because, of course, streaming videos where they're really going to make a lot lot of money selling data because that's what eats the data up very quickly. And the crazy thing is, is we say, when are they going to get Netflix or when are they going to get Hulu or when are they going to get HBO Go? Well, not only did they get those three, but they get Showtime, Vivo and 19 others, 24 video services in total at launch. They said video will be optimized via proprietary technology to reduce how much data it consumes as it transmit, transits over the network. T-Mobile said the service is open to any video service that meets its technical requirements. The video will be streamed at DVD quality, meaning 480p, not 720p or 1080p high definition. Uh, so that that's in- actually a very interesting thing because... I know there's uh you know there's there's something to be said about um you know whether or not that the, the way that they're kind of shaping the amount of data that's coming over the network then um, is going to be more impactful to you know your experience with it but um, you know I guess in my my feeling is that if you're someone who's streaming it over the mobile network and especially if you're doing it on you know our phones the screen is small enough that 480p is probably going to be just fine for what you're going to be wanting to watch on the go it really is it really yeah. is it's not it's not ideal but uh, it, it's fine Yeah. So the other thing is you can toggle it off. And so you can switch off the free 480p video uh, and switch back on a a higher quality, you know, bit rate and then, of course, consume data in the process. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you would rather do that, uh, T-Mobile has also doubled the data available on many of their plans. So for families and businesses um, at no additional cost, the entry level plan, which is $50, now includes unlimited talk and text and two gigs of data. That's up from a gig. The $65 plan gets you three gigs or from three gigs up to six gigs and also um, it does increase the price five dollars compared to the previous offer though it used to be sixty dollars also the 
$20 plan doubles the data from 5 gigs to 10 gigs, but maintains the same price point. T-Mobile's two-line family plan with 10 gigs of data per line uh, increases from $100 up to $120. So keep that in mind if you're someone uh, who is jump- wanting to jump in on that plan. Uh, now, along with the new tiered data plans, T-Mobile is also preparing to uh, new pricing for its unlimited data plan beginning on November 15th. The price will increase from $80 per month to $95 a month. So that's a jump of $15. So uh, if you want unlimited data, you're going to have to pay for it. However, in exchange, it will be doubling the amount of mobile hotspot data. So you'll now get uh, 14 gigs a month of hotspot data. So that should be plenty for most people. Uh, Customers who exceed the 14 gigs of data will see the feature throttled through the rest of the billing period. These new plans are available today, then the 15th of November. Uh, New customers will have early access to Binge On starting today. The rest of uh, us uh, that are on T-Mobile will get access to Binge On starting next Sunday, November 22nd. I don't know how this is going to actually work. I would imagine uh, that the apps are going to have to be updated to uh, support this type of, uh, uh, you know, throttling or shaping, whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, I don't, and I don't know how that's going to look because I think about it like specifically on the iPhone um, or iPad, uh, these apps, are they going to have like a a special toggle in them or something that we're going to not understand? Or is it going to be in the the software? I, I don't, I just don't know. No, um, pretty much every streaming app can deal with a lower bandwidth uh, data delivery, including Netflix and, and all these others. So what happens is uh, T-Mobile is using traffic shaping, at, you know, at their routing point to restrict the the speed at which you're, you know, the, the, the bandwidth throughput that you're getting the, the data from one of these streaming services. So essentially the, the app and the, it, it's all built in. So then it, it restricts the down. So it'll, it'll switch to the, the, the 480p. Uh, you know, essentially the 480p quality of the video. If you uh, look at Netflix, there's some test videos that you can look at what what you're getting. It's called example short 2.9 uh, 29.875, which is the the standard NTSC frame rate. If you pull that up, you can actually see what the the the, the bit rate and the 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 dimensions of the the pixels that you're getting of the screen size. And uh, it's it's good for diagnostic your home network and everything, and uh, you can pull that up and check that out. But that that shows you that each video that Netflix has, they actually have all these different encoding levels uh, for the the video stream itself. So that's what happens uh, with the other uh, the other services as well. So you're suggesting then that the, the the toggle to be able to turn off this is going to be something on the T-Mobile side. So you're going to have to like log into your account and turn it off or something like that. Something like that. I think that's what's going to have to happen. Okay, well, uh, we'll find out next weekend uh, or if there's any new customers, of course, that have come on with T-Mobile this week. We'd love to hear how you're doing it then, too. Yeah, there must be probably an app that T-Mobile is going to have to turn that on and off that goes back to the T-Mobile server to say, okay, let this go full speed. Yeah, maybe it's just in the my T-Mobile app that we all have. Maybe there'll just be a new section in there um, because it's I guess that would make sense. so anyway, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how they're doing this. You know, notably absent from this list, of course, is YouTube, uh, the biggest video streaming service. I, I don't remember what percentage it is, but it's something like uh, 20 or 30, 40 percent, something like that of all traffic on the Internet is YouTube. But uh, T-Mobile said the service is absent for technical reasons. Proprietary software that T-Mobile is using for detecting and downgrading the video um, needs to be able to detect that it's receiving actual video content rather than audio or a static image content. So the majority of YouTube traffic uses HTTPS, which T-Mobile is able to identify. However, some of it relies on the UDP protocol, and T-Mobile software can't automatically detect that accurately. So without uh, the ability to determine the exact nature of the content, they uh, may intentionally charge customers 
So it's uh, they basically said we're not going to do that. Uh, there are, of course, some other things that are not uh, that are not on here yet, uh, but like streaming of uh, video directly from websites, I guess, would be one uh, example. Um, but a lot of the stuff, the, a lot of the apps that uh, we use on a regular basis are included. So, um, you know, I've got a couple that I use regularly. I've got Netflix and then I've got the MLB at bat, which is uh, for obviously baseball. And uh, so I'm really excited that both of those are now included. And uh, that's going to be about the extent of uh, what I'm going to use. And I, I don't see myself watching much else on the devices. So anyway, very, very cool that uh, those are both included now, uh, among others. Uh, now, uh, one of the things that I do want to talk about here with the T-Mobile and just kind of their change here and how they're doing this is um, there's been a lot of back and forth on, you know, the net neutrality implications of this. And, uh, and Joey, I really wanted to get your take on, you know, what T-Mobile is doing and how you think this is going to be uh, effective of whether it's their network or how any of these services are going to operate moving forward. Well, you know, the... the <laughs> It's strange because they're kind of going backwards, and that's where it's uh, it, it's hard to say it's a, a net neutrality issue because they're giving this data to you for free, and they're not char in their and they're not charging this to you. It's the other way around that really becomes troublesome because let's say they want to you know for YouTube they want to now say or or Hulu or Netflix, okay, well your data for web browsing is going to cost you you know ten dollars for one gigabyte, but when you use Netflix, we want to charge you you know, $20 per, uh, per gigabyte or less. Let's say it's, you know, because it's video and they realize, you know, it's, uh, it eats up quick. So they charge you a dollar per gigabyte. That's where you have issue because then the data is not being fairly charged for the different categories, the different classes. It's supposed to be that, you know, net neutrality is supposed to be just data is data and that's what it is. And, and that's how it's the, you know, the mentality of it's supposed to be or the, the spirit of it. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I, I kind of look back at, you know, where, you know, where we, when we started first talking about this a couple of years back, where net neutrality's converse, where that conversation was going. And you're right, it absolutely wasn't um, in, you know, kind of in this regard, it was on the, you know, doubling or, or more of the cost uh, of having certain services or paying more for the cost of certain services and in, in, in using your data. Um, you know, but I, I, I don't, I don't personally see it as as a as a negative thing just yet, but maybe I just don't know enough about it. Well, and the other issue is is you don't want to have uh, you know companies like Verizon say, well, you cannot watch Netflix on your mobile device because well, we have we offer the streaming video, or we just don't want your Netflix data to be able to be transmitted on our network, and that's where also you run into trouble with the net neutrality. I mean, it, it seems like a reasonable uh, thing that they're doing here in, you know, putting in a, a limiter on this data and then saying, if you want to watch it at this, you know, uh, in this resolution and this quality, uh, we're not going to charge you for it. And so, you know, kind of a, a value add for the customer. Uh, and if it's not good enough, then you can certainly turn it off and, and you can watch whatever you want to watch at the whatever quality that you want to watch. And you've got the amount of data that you have on your plan to be able to do that. And I, I guess I, at the very least, I, I kind of respect that I have that option at this point. It's the same thing with you can now have, you know, free data roaming worldwide. That's really cool. Uh, it may not be fast enough for you, just like the quality may not be good enough for you on Binge On, but you can always change that and up that and spend more money. But now you've got kind of this like baseline plan of like, okay, this is the stuff that's included. You can stream music, you can stream video, you can 
talk and you know text internationally. Uh, and if you want to do more, you can pay more. But we're at least giving you uh, an option to do a lot of different things with the with the with our plans and the amount that we're spending. So. Um, you know, part of it's a, well, I'm a customer. And so of course I feel really excited about this and having this as an, has something that's, that's added there. Uh, but part of it is like, okay, so if, if you don't like it, then, then you can pay more and you don't have to deal with it uh, or, or, you know, use your data in that way. So, um, I just, I don't see it as a, an overly negative thing that we need to, uh, you know, that needs to be for, I guess, further criticized at least until we start to see actual problems that result as a, that come up as a result. No, it really isn't. I suppose until T-Mobile gets to the point where the uh, the almost all data is free except for you know a, Email. a little bit yeah exactly uh, then you start then that's probably an issue but you know the vast majority of of internet data still is just that whatever that data bucket you have yeah and that's i guess that's where that's where this is going to go um <clears throat> i don't know I, I think i'm on track right now to use about three gigs so it's not like i'm not using data i'm still using plenty of data and in fact it and the fact that it works so well is why i'm using a lot of it is because i don't even think twice about it because it's just it's it's very smooth so anyway uh very interesting stuff there with that uh wrapping up t-mobile news the fcc on thursday proposing a fine of 60 grand against t-mobile for failing to adequately warn and prevent the public from being too close to cellular antennas Specifically, T-Mobile didn't block off uh, and place signs near three antennas, one in the AWS spectrum, one transmitting the PCS spectrum. On a building in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the FCC, I don't know where it was, but the FCC determined that anyone could easily access the area directly in front of the antennas and discovered evidence there, including cigarette butts, pens, and graffiti on the antennas, suggesting people had been in the area. I just, I have to laugh at that. Like, on the antennas, people are sitting there looking at these things going, yeah, these look interesting i want to draw on it uh meanwhile my left arm hurts uh, the fc measuring the signal strength in front of the antenna is found to exceed uh the fcc's maximum recommended exposure up to 300 percent um and uh so anyway they've got fine 60 grand for this just i don't know why this makes me laugh but i i never really knew that this uh that this existed but of course it makes sense no it does and you have to i mean yes if you if you anybody out there ever sees uh, themselves near a cell phone tower don't go in front of it really because they they're very directional and you don't want to be exposed to that uh, radiation no not even for a small amount of time it's it's not good uh, next up, uh, device news. The iPad Pro went on sale this week. T-Mobile was quick to jump, pun intended, on offering Apple's new tablet on its installment plan. T-Mobile has the device on sale beginning uh, this coming Wednesday the 18th and will offer it, of course, with a Wi-Fi and cellular model on the Jump On Demand program, uh, which will let you upgrade your device up to three times per year. Why you would want to do that, I have no idea. But uh, standard price uh, for the device uh, and the with, with is 128 gigs of storage. Of course, that comes with the iPad model. Uh, with the cellular plan is uh, ten or $1,079. You can pay the full price up front or you can pay uh, a $200 upfront payment and then $34 a month over 18 months after which you pay the remaining cost of the device or trade it in. Uh, if you don't go with Jump, you can still get the iPad Pro for 200 down and the monthly payments of 36.67 for 23 months and the remaining cost in month 24. The carrier will sell the Apple iPad Pro accessories uh, such as the $169 smartphone 
uh, keyboard and the $99 Apple Pencil online starting on the 18th as well. So uh, you can obviously go and pick one up in uh, stores and Apple stores, or you can uh, order it through your carrier if they have them available, as T-Mobile does. Um, so anyway, iPad Pro now out in the wild. Joey, have you picked yours up yet? No, I have not. I'm not really interested in it quite yet. Uh, however, just today I thought of one thing that uh, I think we talked about last week or the week before is the, the Evernote upgrade with the the, the stylus uh, slash drawing support. And I thought, you know, that would actually be a pretty good uh, use case, uh, uh, you know, like a one single unitasker style use case for the iPad Pro is to have, you know, on-screen drawing uh, with Evernote notes. Yeah, it would. Um, let, let me, let's, let's kind of back up just a second. So I, I went and saw one in the store this week. I, I think that was Thursday. And, and Joey was the recipient, as he always is, of a litany of texts and pictures and, you know, initial, oh my gosh, uh, reactions that I always have to seeing things and talking about things and whatever. Uh, this, this thing is big. Um, it is, it's a really big iPad. Um, I, I see a ton of potential in it. Uh, but like the phone, the iPad, uh, or the iPhone plus phones, I just, I cannot wrap my arms or literally my fingers around this thing to think about how I would use this on a regular basis. Okay, so one thing that you've got an excellent uh, perspective on for seeing this iPad Pro this week is you just had a Surface Pro 3 to compare it to. And that's where you're, I mean, that's where everybody's mind kind of runs to as far as the size comparison. How does it compare? So it is, um, I mean, it's it's bigger. <laughs> it's a bigger screen uh, than the Surface. Um, the other thing I would say about, the, so I, I no longer have the Surface, by the way. I, I've given it back to my uh, IT department so that they can recycle it. It just wasn't for me. Um, but uh, what I kind of, what I felt like with it was that it was, especially with the keyboard, really trying to face off against the Surface and pull uh, at least a segment of that market. Now, um, in the Apple stores, you see them both with and without keyboards, which I think is a very, very interesting thing because you essentially have like consumers on one side of the table and prosumers or enterprise on the other side of the table, literally on either sides of the table. And as you're looking at this thing without a keyboard, it just feels like a really big iPad. And uh, I, I, you know, I guess you, you can tilt it sideways and do all the, the split screen stuff on there, but that's not really what it's, how it's laid out and how it's being displayed and shown off. It's being shown off as you pick it up and you use it just like you would with any other regular iPad. Um, and at a pound and a half, um, it reminds me a lot of uh, what we used to have with the iPad twos and threes in that weight category uh, that was just too heavy to be using with one hand over a long period of time. The air solved for that. It got the, the weight down to a pound and and now it, fe- it feels really good to hold in a hand. Uh, and this is just, it, it like it went in the wrong direction, of course, because it had to because it's so much bigger. Uh, but then, of course, the, the size of it as well just makes it feel more unwieldy. So I have a hard time seeing this being like the bedtime reading device that most people would choose. That's true. That's what a lot of people do like about, you know, tablets in general. And of course, just kind of sitting on the couch and, uh, you know, web browsing or, you know, playing a game or whatever you may be doing on there. And that's, of course, why the iPad mini is so popular, because you have that full tablet experience that you get in a big size iPad in a nice, really lightweight package. Uh, but I know what you're talking about the weight as far as, you know, the iPad, uh, you know, four goes. I, there's still some of those floating around the office and I pick those up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's a boat anchor. 
Yeah, it's just it's just too much. And I think, you know, as we uh, as we move forward in, you know, in Tabletville, uh, you know, the, the weight is actually going to be a bigger deal than, you know, the weight of our phones. Uh, I'm still not crazy about the weight of the the 6S, uh, but I've definitely gotten used to it. Um, I, I actually don't think I type on it as well as a result of the weight. Um, but that's that's a whole nother thing. Going back to the pro. Uh, this is a desktop, a desktop device, a tabletop device in many regards when you put the keyboard on it. Uh, it doesn't adjust. Uh, that was one thing that the Surface did is you could adjust the, the angle of the screen. You're stuck with one angle, which it seems like it would probably be fine in most cases, but I found myself adjusting the angle of the Pro quite a bit, just as you adjust, or of the Surface, just as you adjust the angle of your laptop screen quite a bit when you're sitting down. Uh, and so I, I think that actually might be uh, a bigger, the biggest issue that they have here. Even having a second angle would have been something that would have, I think, solved that, that issue for a lot of people. Um, the uh, the felt covered keys are okay. Um, I don't like the travel as much as I like a traditional keyboard. That means I probably wouldn't like uh, the new Mac. Uh MacBook either as well, but again, because I guess they're very similar keyboards, but that that's another you know whole nother thing. Um, the 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 cover thing is really kind of crazy and how it works. It's like origami to get the thing, you know. Uh, but it but it it works very well. Um, and to get to that, um, the pencil is really smooth, really nice, uh, really interesting. Um, maybe a little big. Uh, I'm not a, a graphics person, so I, I guess I'm just I was thinking that we'd have something that was more of a pen size. This is like a pen and a half. Uh, if you will, uh, maybe a pen and a quarter. Maybe that's I'm going a little bit too far, but it's a little bit longer than I'm used to, and, and most of the pens that I use. And so I wasn't uh, I wasn't expecting to have something you know quite of that that substantial. Uh, but and uh, and I guess the other part of it was I I don't know as, as I'm thinking about how I, I use a notebook uh, right now to take notes. A lot of times. Um, I'm holding it with one hand and writing on the other hand. I, I, I would feel very uncomfortable doing that with the Pro. Um, so it would have to be something where I'd be using it like in a desktop mode uh, where it'd be or on a tabletop. And so uh, and potentially then do I have it on the keyboard, uh, the keyboard dock on there? And then why am I not just typing instead of writing? So I don't know. I just I, I see the idea that you're going after there. I just I don't know about the, the execution. Gotcha. I suppose in that case, you'd almost need a, a an iPad case with that hand strap hand thing, thing yeah. on the back where you don't you can just balance it on the one hand. If, for those of you that watch NFL football, exactly what the, the sideline staff does with their surfaces. They've got the stylus that's tethered onto it, uh, and then they've got the, the case with the, the hand strap on the back of it. That's, that's absolutely, I think, uh, the way that you'd get around that. But how on Apple is that? I mean, that is just like, I don't know. It's just, it, but again, the, the whole device just kind of felt just kind of, I don't know, oversized and not right. It, actually, what it did is it made me realize, maybe I should just go get an iPad Air 2, uh, you know, at this point, just because I just don't know that that is going to ever feel like it's going to fit in my life. By the way, I, I had no intention of buying it. I still have no intention of buying it. It's just it's just a monster um, that I have really no use for in my life at this point. So I, I, I don't have a reason to go and get one. No, but, you know, it, it also is the first revision, too. Yes. Uh, you know, there's there's that. Uh, also, uh, on the flip side, think about the market for it, though. I, I do see it as, you know, there's been some news reports that uh, I think Tim Cook or somebody said, you know, this is a, a laptop replacement. 
And I completely see that it is for certain people who don't really need a laptop. Think about your parents, for example, or, or right. you know, people who don't need the power of a computer. And quite frankly, you know, uh, those of us who do uh, IT support uh, get endless questions about their, you know, their parents' computer about how do you do this and why is this running slow and I think I've got a virus and what do all these pop-up mean? Uh, use an iPad. Uh, use an iPad. Guess what? Uh, that, that's what I recommend. And, and oh, you want something with a bigger screen? Oh, get the iPad Pro. <laughs> uh, then you don't have to worry about any of this hassle of uh, setting things up. So uh, to me, there's definitely a market for it. And I don't know if it's going to be, uh, you know, as lucrative as Apple thinks it's going to be, but it definitely will. It, it, it definitely has a place. The other thing that I can see is that for a lot of people that are, are that use the web, that use email and do some light office editing and you know potentially creation, it's easy enough to use this device for the majority of that and the convenience of it is is absolutely where the value comes in. And where where I'm going with this is then uh, you could potentially scale, uh, bring in a um, uh, uh, Joey help me out here. What do you call the the services that 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 do the virtualized, uh, the virtualized desktops, um, yeah, where you're that's, essentially, that's it right there. I mean, the virtualized desktop, I mean, that's what I do. I do remote desktop protocols on my, uh, you know, I use RDP Microsoft, uh, on my iPad to do basically everything remote. I don't bring a laptop with me at all ever. I just use our, you know, the remote desktop on the iPad. And then of course there's, you know, virtualized desktop environments with, uh, uh, you know, uh, VMware and Citrix and all these others have that as well. Yeah. And I, and I haven't tried too many of these out, but I'm, certainly interested to see how these uh, things translate into uh, enterprise moving forward because if you can easily find yourself with e whether it's a BYOD program or a program where you've got tablets that are able to access these virtualized environments where essentially you're using that device to to control a remote computer uh, and you've got a keyboard attached to it it's going to feel a lot like a, a computer or at least give you uh, the, the you know the features and the power that you need but you don't necessarily need to always have that full-blown you know professional desktop power behind what it is that you're doing when all you're doing is typing email or you know scheduling a calendar appointment or something like that so um you know i, I th and this could absolutely fit into that almost 13 inches it's essentially the same size if you've got a you know a macbook air or a macbook pro you know think of like the the screen that you have and that's actually you know interestingly because if you I'm, I'm holding my laptop right now and uh you know as i as i kind of pretend to hold the top piece of it that's exactly what it felt like it was just it was it was amazing because it was like wow this is uh a, a very large piece of glass and uh very very pretty very fast i mean this is the fastest uh, ios device that i've ever seen and uh, it just it was able to just take anything you threw at it and i was playing around with the multitasking and sliding that stuff around and and absolutely see the utility in it but uh but you know I, i'm still interested to kind of watch this as we go here over the next couple of uh, couple of months and into the maybe the next iteration and see just kind of where things shake out with that but uh, uh, iPad Pro go check it out if you haven't at least pop into an Apple store and pick it up and go wow that's big and uh, nod your head and say yeah Mickey did tell me that didn't he <laughs> anyway so uh, next up here Android Google on Wednesday announcing the Android Wear platform now supports cellular connections for calls messages and syncing of data the LG watch urbane second edition LTE which was a launch announced last month is the first Android Wear device to support cellular networks Google says cellular equipped Android watches will automatically switch from Bluetooth to Wi-Fi to cellular and when 
needed for connectivity. Uh, Google expects people will be able to use their smartwatches for calls, emails, and dictating of text messages, as well as, of course, managing fitness and other things while on the go. AT&T and Verizon will offer cellular service to the Watch Urbane 2nd Edition LTE, available for pre-order starting this week. Huawei has revealed a new technique for charging batteries that is up to 10 times faster than existing methods. Huawei bonded uh, hetero uh, atoms to graphite molecules, which can be a catalyst for capturing and transmitting lithium through carbon, increasing charging speeds without decreasing the energy density or overall battery life. The company demonstrated how it was able to charge a 600 milliamp hour uh, uh, charge a 600 milliamp hour battery to 68% in two minutes and a 3000 milliamp hour battery to 48% in five minutes, uh, enough to power 10 hours of voice calls. Huawei is confident that this breakthrough in charging uh, batteries will lead to new revolution in electronic devices, especially with regards to mobile devices. The demonstrations were made at the 56th battery symposium in Japan. In software news, Facebook on Wednesday announced Notify, an app created to deliver notifications about news, happenings, and going-ons directly to mobile devices. Uh, The app lets people follow stations across a broad range of categories, including sports, weather, trailers, news, and so on. Facebook also partnering with several dozen information sources for content in hopes to add more over time. People can create their own lists of interests, but Facebook will make suggestions based on details shared in user profiles. Notifications are sent to the lock screen where they can be opened, dismissed, saved, and shared. The app includes its own browser for reading web-based articles and playing video. Notifications can be pushed to others via text, email, and Facebook. And the app saves all notifications for a period of 24 hours so users can go back in and see what they've missed. Notify is free to download from the App Store. Mozilla on Thursday announcing its Firefox browser is available now for the iPhone and iPad. Mozilla released a preview of the browser in New Zealand a few months back and is now offering the browser to everyone. Firefox for iOS includes private browsing, intelligent search, visual tabs, and cross-device syncing. It is free to download as well. And a court's report this week points to banking sources saying that Apple may be using iMessage to handle person-to-person payments to complement Apple Pay. Apple is reported to be in talks with banks for the service, and they want to act as the payment processor with iMessage already using end-to-end encryption. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, why not make it easy to uh, send money to people that you know if they've already have kind of the, you know, the back end already done just you know, just change the delivery method uh, between devices using the iMessage protocol that is already encrypted. And the, the biggest question is, is are they going to charge a fee for that? And I would imagine that why wouldn't they? There's got to be some sort of, uh, you know, function to make this worth their while. Um, you know, PayPal offers the gifting function, which lets you send money for free without any, you know, fees that get added on to that. So perhaps there's going to be some, some mechanism that goes into there. And I don't know if it's a, you know, it could be something as simple as the money just goes into your iTunes account and then you can ask for a withdrawal from it. And under the assumption that a lot of people just leave it in their iTunes account and then perhaps use it for iTunes purchases. I don't know, but uh, we'll see how that all plays out and uh, we'll, if it actually comes to fruition. But yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. On the Android side, uh, Apple, yes, on the Android side, Apple released a beta version of its Apple Music in the Google Play Store. Uh, Android owners can subscribe to the service for free for three months to try it out, after which a single user is $10 a month and families are $15 a month. 
YouTube's music application, now available for download on iOS and Android devices. The app includes a home tab for recommended artists, as well as a user-configurable station based on individual tastes. The search tool provides unlimited access to videos, tracks, artists, and albums, as well as associated remixes, covers, lyric videos, and concert footage. The basic service is free, but Google says YouTube Music is best enjoyed with YouTube Red, its $10 per month ad-free offering. YouTube Red gives YouTube Music users access to offline music, as well as the option to watch videos or listen to audio only in audio-only mode. Videos can play in the background when using other apps, even when the screen is off. The app is free. They're offering a subscription experience trial for 14 days to everyone. Google on Tuesday said maps can now be used without an active internet connection. Users can download maps for cities and even an entire country, so routing and basic navigation tools will function even when there's a poor connection or no connection at all. Offline map support is simple routing be- offers simple routing between points, does not yet support live traffic, and maps will only recognize and download regions via Wi-Fi and will automatically jump to a live version of the map when it recognizes that there is an internet connection. Offline support is rolling out to Android first and will eventually be available for iOS users. So just to clarify, this isn't just the map. This is the actual navigation. Routing support is now available offline because you could download maps before, but you wouldn't be able to do the driving directions, for example, uh, offline. Got it. Okay. So that, yeah, that's a good point of uh, point to clarify there. So yeah, but obviously very, very interesting here. And for those that use it a lot, it could be something that, uh, you know, makes sense uh, if you're, you know, trying to navigate through areas with poor service, whether it's rural areas or just areas that are congested. Either way, you've got, uh, you've got, you know, having that data on your device could be very positive. And Google said it will warn Gmail users when they receive emails that arrive through non-encrypted connections. A recent report published by Google had several research partners demonstrating that email on a whole is safer than it was two years ago, but there are still risks that remain. Google identified several security issues that warrant attention. So, for example, some areas of the Internet are preventing uh, pre- preventing messages from being encrypted by fiddling with SSL connection requests. Another threat uh, lurks on malicious DNS servers that are publishing fake routing information to email servers trying to reach Gmail. Google says this angle of attack could allow people to alter the content of messages before they are delivered to the intended recipient. The warnings will begin to appear in inboxes over the next few months in questions and comments the first up here is a question from bobby uh, and he says as users of apple products i'm curious your thoughts on the direction the company will go when naming future devices it seems they've already begun to remove the eye from certain products like the apple watch and the pencil will the new iphone 7 just be the apple phone and start over in the numbered versions or continue with the 7 7s etc uh, I, of course, I think the iPhone name needs to stay. It is, for now, it's ingrained in our minds and is beyond iconic. Iconic. Uh, however, in the future, will where iPhone sales start to slip, this might be a time for a rebrand. Uh, do you think this change is inevitable? Will it be sooner or later? Thanks for making these shows for us each week, Bobby. So I think the iPhone name is here to stay forever, just like you know Mac and Macintosh is here to stay forever. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Even though you were right about the i something, you know whatever it may be, iPad, iPhone is a little outdated feeling because uh, you know the iPod is basically on its last legs uh, essentially, and we've got these you know this trio of i devices that are very common right now, but they've gone away from it with the watch and the the pencil and some of this other stuff. So it is going to be um, it's going to be a long time though. I, I doubt they'll ever retire that name uh, until basically the concept of a phone is completely different or it's integrated into your watch and you know entirely. Uh, that's probably when it'll go away. 
Yeah, I, I'm, it's kind of interesting for me because, yeah, I don't know that we're necessarily going to see this, uh, you know, going anywhere anytime soon. My biggest concern is obviously as a, you know, as a consumer um, or someone that's cov- cons- covering consumer news that they're not trying to do something too quickly here. Um, I, I feel like the majority of the things that they have are, are um, you know, well positioned at this point. Maybe with the new stuff that they're coming out with, they're going to bring in a, a new brand like, uh, you know, an Apple, whatever it is, Apple TV, Apple Watch, Apple Pencil. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but you still have the iPhone, you've got the iMac, you've got the iPad. I, I, I'm just, I'm there that I think they're going to stay for a long time to come. I don't think we see that changing anytime soon. There's no reason for them to really do that at this point. And, and to your point uh, of, you know, the, you know, sales starting to slip, that's not happening for a while either. I, I just don't see us having to deal with that for, again, a long time to come. And it's when it does, then I, I don't know that a name change is going to be the answer for them. No, and that won't do it. And, and, and usually what seems to happen with Apple is they start cannibalizing their own sales with a, a new device. You know, for example, you know, the, uh, the iPad, uh, you know, the, the iPad mini was kind of going after some of the iPhone sales. And of course now the iPad, or I'm sorry, the iPhone plus is kind of going after the iPad mini sales. So they, you know, they're kind of good at uh, doing that. And of course the iPhone took out the iPods essentially, uh, you know, really. So, uh, you know, Apple's kind of in control of when they do this. It, it, realistically, it's kind of how it works. Yeah, that's very true. You know, ultimately, when when we look at, you know, how they can kind of configure their businesses where you've got kind of the desktop line, you've got the iOS line, and we'll just call it the the other line at this point. Um, you know, there's there you've got these kind of titanic type of, of businesses that are just moving and in kind of a direction that is is going very quickly here um and i you know certainly things can change quicker than uh, any of us care to think about blackberry is a great example of this as the you know the largest smartphone maker that everybody has one of their devices and all of a sudden they're almost nothing here just a a short five years later but um i I don't see that happening here i feel like we've got a uh we've got a two-horse race at this point with android and ios and i don't see ios uh trailing behind here um unless something catastrophic happens but uh um, you know, at that point, I'm not sure. Again, a name change is going to uh, to solve that for them. But uh, so that that's that's kind of where I where I'm with that. So uh, thanks, Bobby, for that. Um, you know, again, short answer is you know I think the iBrands iPhone brand stays around for a long time to come. And finally today, going back to a story we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, we had a story last week, uh, or excuse me, a comment last week and a question uh, from a law enforcement um, agent that was asking about what it was that uh, was, you know, could be coming down the pike with changes to how, you know, information and location specific information about devices is uh, handled and used uh, by these various municipalities and law enforcement agencies. And so um, I thought it would be good to to follow up with that and talk about that the story we kicked off the show with, which was how uh, a Florida man had been convicted of robberies uh, based on where his location data was placing him and how that information was pulled from uh, the wireless carrier by the police in order to essentially convict him of these. And again, it has not gone to the Supreme Court yet, but that doesn't mean that if it's not this case, maybe it's another one. And I, I really feel like this is a, an important topic to discuss because it is something that is going to continue to be one of these newsworthy things because it is so interesting that how just carrying a phone can be something that implicates you in something as serious as a crime. Absolutely. And this is nothing new. Uh, I mean, it's really been kind of 
you know, it's been bouncing around for, you know, quite a few years. And of course, most notably, uh, fans of the podcast Serial will be, uh, especially the, uh, the, the people that are listening to the follow-up shows to Serial, know that the cell phone data was very critical in the, the conviction, but in fact, it was extremely unreliable. Uh, now, uh, we've discovered, according to a lot of the experts that AT&T had said, even originally, said you can only use this for outbound calls, not incoming calls, and, and it, you know, the, the data of the cell phone back in that time was probably restricted to the analog cell phones, I'm assuming. Uh, I have not uh, listened to all these details. I've just been hearing this third hand. But that location, uh, you know, that location data is very critical to a lot of cases. And, you know, if you've watched 48 Hours or Dateline, you'll see that they do, in fact, uh, use the use the cell phone data pings off towers, for example, to place somebody in the, the neighborhood or in the neck of the woods or even in that state where they think the crime was committed to kind of give that, you know, one more piece of evidence that this person, in fact, d- did the crime. And this is, uh, you know, nothing new, of course, wiretaps way back in the day. But the real trick here, the kind of the difference here is the warrants in, in whether or not you have to get a warrant to get this data in. And that's kind of where the the rub is coming in. And obviously, there's emergency situations, which what the comment was about last week, where time is of the essence. You need, you know, in a kidnapping or something, you need this right now. And if you let this go, the phone may be deactivated, turned off. Somebody may get, you know, injured or killed. And this is where it, it gets kind of, uh, you know, gets kind of the gray area is, you know, when do you need the warrant signed, and when should a judge be signing off and getting this data. Yeah, and that's a, I guess, kind of the the overarching, you know, kind of commentary, the running commentary on this is, you know, where how is this information going to be handled? What protocols are going to be put in place here that are going to to make it so that it's not so, uh, you know, not so ambiguous as we look at this? You know, having a you know a case that made its all the way all the made its way all the way to the eleventh U.S. Circuit Court is a is a pretty big deal. So to me, this is where it comes down to. It's only a matter of time before the Supreme Court has to hear this. Yeah, and then, now this is on the server side of things. Things, uh, for the most part. Now we get into, uh, you know, we've had stories recently over the past few weeks uh, and months and, and even years. Uh, it's becoming more and more prevalent now as uh, the vast majority of devices now running Android are encrypted and the iOS is being encrypted starting with uh, iOS 7 or was it 8 where, you know, basically it's mandatory encrypted and they really, really, really suggest that you uh, put passcodes on and when you do put that passcode on your iOS device, your device is completely encrypted and there is no way for Apple to unlock this device for you and no way for Apple to unlock this device for law enforcement even with a warrant and uh, of course with uh, this weekend's uh, unfortunate uh, uh, attacks in Paris this again is being uh, touted uh, I was hearing this morning on the the, the Sunday morning shows uh, that this is a big problem because now uh, for law enforcement because if they do get Suspect, suspected terrorists' phones, they can't decrypt them to see if there's incriminating evidence on there. Uh, so, it, you know, there is definitely a fine line of, you know, where do you draw this, uh, you know, line in the sand and do you force companies to decrypt data? Do you do this? And in and, and, and privacy becomes a, a big issue. 
Yeah, it does. And, I, you know, ultimately, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be as easy as, you know, coming up with a, um, a, a, I'll say, a simple protocol that we can all use and, and that everyone that can use, because obviously every case is different and every situation is different. But you would hope that there's going to be some, you know, standard operating procedures, best practices, if you will, that are going to provide for that infrastructure that's absolutely going to kind of show, uh, you know, where we, we are today, uh, you know, and what types of information are needed for what types of things and uh, provide so that there's not there's not that lag and, and ultimately this the decision on whether or not to get this information can be done fairly quickly uh, or maybe it's it's through you know obviously the the it's an open access to this information but only by certain you know certain people it's got to be uh, approved or requested by a judge or it's got whatever it is um, it, again just like anything else you know with a warrant so um, you know I, I I just find this very fascinating I don't know that we're going to come up with you know all the answers here we're going to probably come up with none of them because it's going to be for uh, the, the legal system to answer all these questions for us. But stuff we should all be thinking about because it's definitely stuff that is, uh, that is you know, as you mentioned, you know, these unfortunate events that are happening in the world all too frequently now uh, are just going to continue to occur as we uh, as we move forward. And of course, what, what where a problem comes in is that the legal system just takes so long to get these changes made. And, and by the time that these, you know, precedents get set and or the laws get updated to match the current technology they're already you know years out of date is is really kind of the reality of what happens here so there's definitely uh you know it's a, it, it's a quick changing time in technology right now uh and it's just really hard for the the court system to actually keep up with it yeah years out of date and there's nothing there's nothing that is, they can speed that up except for additional change which of course comes with more time which is not what we need in uh, in these situations so Interesting stuff. So uh, definitely wanted to, you know, bring come back around and, and finish up that discussion there. And uh, as we get more on it, we'll, of course, talk on it about it uh, on this show. If you have anything you'd like for us to talk about, we'd love to hear from you. Questions at the cell phone dot com is our email address. Six five zero nine 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 zero five two four is our phone number. Feel free to uh, email or call or email in uh, your voice uh, recordings as well. Those always work very well indeed. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.